You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Morning everyone, 24th of July 2022 with hopefully better sounding audio than the previous video I recorded on here. Yes, it's been a bit highs and lows in terms of the channel, but we'll get onto that in a minute. But yeah, things generally good. The weather has thankfully cooled down a little bit. I'm only, I'm only sweating slightly in my house, but we did go through pretty much the worst heat wave the UK has ever had. I think we were hotter than 98% of the world at that point, and it was just horrific. I just could not stand it. Even today, the sun is out, it's beaming, and it's just heating up this house like crazy, but not to the extent of last week. So it has got more to a manageable level where I'm not quite, you know, dying of heat exhaustion every five minutes. Although it's still not great. I still have to have continuous, you know, pint glasses of ice-filled squash and that and iced coffees when I go out. You know, I, I, I have to stay cool. I cannot be hot if it's not a wet heat. You know, I, I, I like a sauna, steam bath, give me a nice hot shower. Don't give me Death Valley. Don't give me, you know, the hot tropical climates and stuff. It just doesn't sit well with me. I need air conditioning. I need cold. I am a cold I don't want to say cold-blooded person, but you know, I am certainly, I, I feel like I need the chills. I'm Mr. Freeze from Batman. How about that? But yeah, I mean, stuff for the channel has been pretty good for the most part. Uh, the recent couple of videos I've done have been top 10s. It's been good to get those out. And the subscriber count has climbed up pretty significantly, actually, over the last couple of weeks, you know, since I put those out. So I put out the top 10 games no one will play with me, which was a Patreon um most requested video to do and clearly everybody else thought so because it is doing incredibly well thank you very much for that and then I also just recently put out the next highest voted one which was the top 10 filler games where I talked about less than 30 minute games with the teach included which is certainly getting some popularity at the moment not quite to the levels of the previous one but still some good popularity and it just goes to show that top 10s just trump reviews so much on the channel I really must do more top 10s than reviews frankly but I do have some reviews to do eventually. I've got, well, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I have to do the next set of top 10 soon, which will be a series on two-player games. So uh, light, medium, and heavy two-player games. And I thought I needed to fill in the blanks with a few two-player games because there were some recent additions to the market that were fairly popular and I really needed to try them out. So I've asked Kiender to give me a bunch of them, and thankfully they did. Well, all but one. I bought one of them myself, but the others I've uh, requested. So those will be reviews that I will do for Sobek, the new reprint, uh, the Gruna Kefala game. The uh, Badlands, or was it, no, sorry, Radlands, the two-player sort of a uh, kind of Borderlands, uh, you know, steampunky, not steampunk, uh, post-apocalyptic uh, card game. That looks pretty cool. And of course, and also Great Plains. So I will be doing micro express reviews for those. And I do mean micro. Like I really got to get the term express review down to a T. So yeah, they will be quick reviews of those games once I've played them. Which I should be doing today actually. Because I intend to be giving them the beans with a friend of mine later. But yeah, the, those ones are on the horizon for review purposes. But then I will be doing those top 10s. But there's another thing I want to mention as well. 
Oh yeah, and if anyone asks about the top 100, that will come eventually. I just think it's going to be a bit later this year. So I probably won't be able to get to the top 100 until some point late August. Maybe I'll have it running through September. We'll see. i got to get it done before Essen. That's the thing. And that reminds me, I need to start emailing some publishers about uh, review copies and uh, meetings. But uh, too much to do, too much to do. So on top of that, though, there is a new series that I am kind of uh, piloting at the moment. This is being requested by viewers, and I figured, you know what, it's about time I did. Uh, this is effectively a uh, pilot episode to talk about Kickstarters. So other players, other people in the industry talk about Kickstarters all the time, and you know my thoughts when it comes to artificial Kickstarter hype. I'm not a fan of how certain channels generate that. So I'm more interested in when small creators do previews of certain things because I feel they haven't got as much to lose. You know, so they come out with some more like interesting opinions that I want to hear. But the I thought I'd jump in on this as well. And the what I've done is I've done a pre-recorded setup like this where I browse through some chosen Kickstarters and give my thoughts on them good and bad. So it's a bit like the crowd surfing that Dice Tower do just without other people and obviously not being live. The problem is I did the pilot episode yesterday and the audio is uh, not up to the standard I would like. It's legible. I mean, you can hear what I'm saying, but it's muffled. The problem is, is that for whatever reason, StreamYard decided to, to reset my mic settings, which meant that echo cancellation got put on. If you are aware of anything to do with audio uh, knowledge, echo cancellation is basically what Jar Jar Binks is to Star Wars. You know, everything about it just ruins what you're doing. And it, 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 it basically really spoils the audio. But it was a long episode, and there were some good Kickstarters this month that I wanted to talk about, like Moonrakers and Burn Cycle and some of the print and plays and stuff. I really wanted to talk about them. So I have a choice between releasing it as a pilot episode and just saying, look, sorry, the audio is a bit rubbish, but, you know, I don't want to re-record it. Or just scrapping the whole episode and waiting until August because I was going to do it as a monthly thing and just say, you know what, take chalk to experience. Well, I did vote on this. So I asked uh, people from the community on this one because I thought I needed more than just a... Uh, Patreons on this one. I needed the whole community on YouTube to give me an indication of this. And I'll just get the... Here we go. Let's show you the poll. So it was basically to say, right, do I not fret over it, release it anyway, and emphasize the issue and just double check in future? Or scrap it, wait a month, and do a first episode then, don't stress myself. Well, 70%, 71% of everybody who voted, 200 votes, said release it as it is. So, yeah, there are some people who said, you know, wait a bit, and I do get it. I was tempted to wait on the basis that it's not the same quality I would like. But then I put the effort in for that episode. I want to get it out. You can still hear what I'm saying. It's just not going to be the best. And it's a pilot episode at the end of the day. I need to obviously gauge if people like what I'm doing in the first place. There's no point putting out... It, the audio may not be great, but I need people to sort of watch it and go, is this something you want to watch in future? Because if it's not worth watching then why would I bother making it again? It wouldn't make a difference. So I will get on with that. I need to probably do that today because uh, one of the projects I talked about ends in a couple of days, so I kind of need to get it out rather sharpish. But it shouldn't take me too long to edit it. I just need to put some backing music to the track to make it a bit more nicer to hear. And, you know, release it. It's about 45 minutes. I talk about, ooh, I think eight or so Kickstarters. I talk about a fair few. Maybe even more than that. I'm not sure. But I talk about a fair few Kickstarters of varying types. And, you know, hopefully it's something you like. But uh, 
Let me know your thoughts on the format and the style. Don't worry too much about the audio. I am aware it's not going to be fantastic, but, uh, you know, at least hopefully this audio sounds a lot better because I have turned echo cancellation off and I will certainly be more mindful of that in the future. All right, well, let's get on the episode because there's quite a lot to do on here. So we're first going to talk about... Uh, I'm going to... Yeah, let's, let's go on to games I've played. I'm not going to talk in too much detail about each about most of these, except for one, I suspect. But I want to... There's certainly one on here that I'm sure everybody wants me to give my thoughts on. So, uh, basically, I went to... Well, well, let's get on to that one later. Let's do the one that I did literally, I think, the other night. And that is Acquire. Oh, yes. Uh, the old... <laughs> this game's going back a bit, isn't it? Yes, I finally have actually played this so I, I thought like I got a ticket off my bucket list at some point but it got to you know when was I ever going to play it who was going to have it and so I've I've got that done and a friend of mine has it and we played this version so this is the Avalon Hill version with the cityscape and the scaffolding and stuff like that I noticed that the cover has got a textured finish on it who does that? Especially back in the 1960s or whatever this game was first made. But Acquire is essentially a stock. It was not necessarily say a stock. It's more a. It's a money-making game, and it does involve stocks and shares. But what you're essentially doing is you're drawing these tiles out of a bag in order to place them on this board and build up like allotments, like plots of land. You then start up these hotel chains with these buildings, and as they get bigger, they go up in value. But then, as soon as they merge with another hotel chain, the smallest gets merged into them, which means you can sell the shares off or exchange them for shares in a new one. It's that kind of thing. In fact, it gave me a very big Tigris and Euphrates vibe, actually, because that's kind of the similar deal with the wars in that but this one was fine I was fine to chuck it off my bucket list I had to accept that this was like a 1960s game so it wasn't exactly going to be the most robust mechanics in the world I can see how people would take this way too seriously and we did not I mean we played with open information uh, for shares and things like that and money so we weren't taking it too seriously I like it fine and there's some tense decisions and there's certainly like a bit of like, oh, you know, should I merge it? Should I not? What's the best move to do? Some decisions are quite, you know, obvious and some aren't. What I wasn't a fan of were these tiles that you had to draw out of a bag because it's critical as to which tiles you have control over, whether they're blockers or mergers that you want or just throw away tiles and you draw them randomly. So, and you have no way to mitigate it. So there's no discard and redraw or anything like that. So you may just draw rubbish tiles for the whole game. And my friend Matt played this with me and he ended up in a situation at the start where he just got into a point where anything that he did basically just facilitated other players and he had no way to really pull it back. So that kind of made the game suck a bit for him. Yeah, it's it's fine, it's okay, but I'm not going to seek this one out. It's, you know, I'm not going to like acquire it, <laughs> yeah, pun intended, for my collection, nor am I going to seek it out to play again. It's a product of its time. It's Definitely one of the better games of its time, I'll give it that. I mean, when you're talking things like, you know, Monopoly and everything else you used to play back in those days, this is something a little bit different and something a bit more thinky. But, uh, yeah, this is... It's not a game I'm not desperate to sort of sing the praises over. It's its what it is. Depending which version you get, it can have the most, like, a horrible components ever. Oh, God, that looks horrible, whatever that is on the screen. And that monstrosity. But, yeah, it's... It's there. It exists. Whatever. You know, you, you ticked it off your bucket list. You can now move on to other games, you know, more modern games. Like, perhaps, uh, Ride the Rails. Oh, dear. Um, 
basically Manicom. I went to Manicon last weekend, I forgot to mention that, and it was a good laugh actually, I'd not been there for four to five years, and it was good fun, they changed the venue slightly, but there was very nice food on offer, even if it got a bit pricey eating every day, uh, there was a curry night, which I didn't go on because I wanted to play games, but you know, there was that on offer, there was a Brin and Buy, I was able to sell uh, uh, Perseverance, which was handy, because I got that off my shelf, and I've recently sold Dwellings of Eldervale as well, uh, I never... St I wonder what happened with those coal videos I used to do. The, the thing is, I did those uh, coal videos for a while, and they were fun, but it was difficult to keep up with them because my my deals with culling games is very sporadic. It doesn't happen on a regular basis. It's like one big cull and that. So maybe I should do one for that, but the thing is, there's just too much to do. And they do get some views, but at the end of the day, I need to concentrate on what the channel does well, which is, you know, honest reviews with top 10s and, of course, the top 100s coming up. So I can't overflow myself too much here. Take a drink. All right. But, yeah, I played some games at Manicon, including Ride the Rails. And some of you are probably thinking, Luke, what on earth are you smoking? Why would you play this game? It is a train game. You hate train games true and true but this one I wanted to give a try because there's a little difference with this one ride the rails isn't that much of a stock market investment train game like 18xx or anything this one cares more about route connections and passenger movement granted there are stocks and shares involved but basically all that is is that you draw a train you choose a train of a color track that's been unlocked at the start of the game and you simply just that can that is considered a share so you're reducing the amount of tracks that they can lay, but you're also getting shares in it, and you maybe have like up to a maximum of six shares in any particular thing. So it's it's not exactly a you know major stock game. It is more about connecting up cities and moving a passenger as far as you can across various routes. Now I requested to play this when it was on the table because others were keen to play it, and I thought you know what I'll try anything once. It was supposed to be a short game. Let's see how it goes. Right, well, short is an absolute waste of space. I mean, it was easily a 90-minute game, and 90 minutes, I think, is a bit too long for the fact that this only has about seven rounds in it. But it's fairly simplistic rules. I mean, you basically just choose one of the trains to get a share, and then you lay out a certain amount of tracks based on player count. We had five of us, so I think there was four tracks a turn. You connect up routes, you can only share so much, and then you move a passenger from one end to another and score based on how many cities it went through and how many track and what tracks it went through. That's kind of it, really. Um, you know, it's Ian O'Toole's art, and everyone keeps saying, oh, it's so gorgeous to look at, and it's like, really? It's like basic green hexes and a brown background. I mean, the graphic design is nice and clear, but for crying out loud, it's a train game. It really doesn't require that much artwork and graphic design. I feel like Ian O'Toole was kind of wasted on here. Although, not going to complain about the Capstone games. Uh, uh, well, e was it Eagle Griffin that did this one? I can't remember, actually. Let me have a look. Uh, who made this? Was it? I thought it was Capstone Games. Yeah, Capstone Games, even though it looks like something that Eagle Griffin would put out. But, I mean, yeah, so, you know, not going to complain about the component quality. It is very nice. The rules for how to score each round, though, are a complete mess. Even the simplified version, which the people teaching us were using, was a bit hard to understand for the first couple of rounds. But this is definitely a game that you will not know how to do well from the get-go. I mean, it, it is not obvious what particular... Well, I say it's not obvious. At the start, you have no idea what to do in order to do well. You're just doing it and hoping for the best, especially if you're new to the game. But later on, you start getting into a situation where it's blatantly obvious which move you should do. It's like, well, I better do this because that's the longest track that I can move and it gets me the most points and that's fine. 
I don't like the idea that, well, the catch-up mechanism of if you're in front points-wise, you go last and stuff like that. I like that in some games, but here it felt very punishing to be literally one point ahead of another player by complete fluke. And, you know, suddenly that means I go last before them and they get a lot of control. That just, it seems to hurt a bit. Two other players in this game also started off fairly badly on their own route and they had no chance of winning for the entire game. So it literally pseudo knocked them out from round one, I felt. I called it from round one that those two would not stand a chance and I was right. You know, this suffers from another problem that train games have. These are too punishing sometimes. Now it is simple and I didn't hate it. You know, there are other train games I would probably hate more, because this one is more about building routes, which is the part of train games I don't mind too much. But, yeah, I mean, we we didn't even play this map. We played the Australia map. I think it was an ex expansion, and it had these weird, like, mountains that you couldn't build. And then it had two side tracks that you could build, which took one track a turn to build. And yet the reward seemed like not a waste of time, especially when other people could sim simply jump on and finish it for you. They... It was really weird. I mean, those two side rules, I think, were just complete waste of space on the Australia map. But yeah, this is... whatever. It's it's below average for me. I'm not a fan. I didn't overly enjoy it. It's I just felt like I was going through the motions in the late game. Like, me and the person who was in the lead... There were two of us in the lead, and it basically got to the point where we were just copying each other because to diverge off would have meant one of us would lose... I didn't like doing that, so I diverged off at the end just to try something different, and it cost me the game, but I just, I was just so bored, I wanted the game to finish, I didn't really care at that point, so, yeah, not for me, I, I still don't get train games to this extent, I would rather play something else for 90 minutes than this, but, oh well, at least I tried it, at least I tried it. Alright, so let's get on to a game that is pretty good, for what it is, and that's Acropolis, this is from, um, was it, Guy Gigamic, Gigamic Games, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but then uh, Halshet Games have uh, brought this over. Actually, let me see if I can pronounce that properly, because that was not good. Uh, Gigamic Games, well, G-I-G-A-M-I-C, how else would you pronounce it? Uh, but then Hachette Board Games is uh, the people who I think have brought it over. I think it was at the UK Games Expo, but I didn't get to go to the Expo, so this is the first time I've even seen it, let alone tried it. And I thought, okay, boring cover, boring title, I mean... It's not bad artwork, but Acropolis and two pillars and a backdrop of a typical city in Greece. Whoopee! I mean, come on. Like, we haven't seen this before. If I saw this on the shelf, I would gloss right past it and just think this was an indie publisher game. Because I would just see the title and go, oh, look, generic title we've seen before. Oh, look, generic city thing in Greece we've seen before. Why do I care? But then I got stuck into the game and we've, we needed a filler for 30 odd minutes and I thought, alright, well I'll give this a try. This is a tile-laying game where you have a starting hex, uh, sort of starting four hex board and a little bit of stone and it, it takes some mechanics from other games. But basically you're building up these, you're, you're collecting these three, what, what's the best way to do it? Uh, they're three tiles put together in a in a cluster so you're building up these tile clusters and you're adding them to your city and they've got different colors on them for different districts so red yellow blue green each one scores in a different way and there's variants for this what you do is that you basically choose a tile from a row which takes the exact same mechanic from small world banishedy for the realm uh, micropolis you know where you have a row of cards and you have to pay stone in order to go further up the row you know that is essentially what we've seen in loads of other games so easy to explain 
But what you do is that you then add it to your city. And the idea is, is that based on how they score, like yellows want to be isolated and greens are just flat out points, blue want to be in a big cluster, red want to be on the edge of the map, you know, you will score points in various ways. But each of their instances only scores a point. To multiply that, you have to get these plaza tiles with the stars on them, and there's like two stars on all of them except the green can potentially have three, and you have to basically get as many of those as you can. So there's a balance between having too much of a particular color, but not enough stars to actually make a decent profit out of it. It's an interesting kind of like concept. And I like the fact that there's, you know, some good reference cards to tell you how many of the things there are. So you can count between the players. It tells you how they all score. There's a variant there. And the idea is, is that if you want to build on top of the ground level, you can build a second level and building on top of these gray tile spaces gets you more stone, which is the currency to buy more cards. And of course, getting stone off cards that people have paid gets you the stone as well. So, you know, it was a interesting little filler. I mean, it's, it doesn't do anything new there is no unique thing in this game really it borrows from a lot of other games it's stuff you've seen before which uh, does mean it suffers a little bit in that regard but it is very smooth it is very quick i mean yes it's a finky filler but you will get this game done in about 45 minutes absolute tops 30 minutes if you haven't got to teach the game i think it i don't think you'll get it done in 30 minutes with a teach i think this is too much to think about particularly with four players two players easily but four no but yeah, you are talking about 45 minutes max. This is a pretty short game, and it was decent. I mean, the production quality is good. These tiles are very thick. Of course, the theme is non-existent. I mean, you could not care less what most of these are, and you'd have to look closely at these pictures to even notice what type of building it is. So you're not going to get any points for that. But yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, it didn't blow my mind, but I thought for what it was, I think 20 to 30 minutes is uh, kind of a little misnomer. I would put that down as 30 to 45, personally, but still. I thought this was solid enough. I, mean, I thought it was well produced and it certainly surprised me when I looked at the cover and title and thought this is going to suck. This is going to be boring, but it's short. What does it get over with? And then found out it's actually pretty sweet. You know, it's actually not bad at all. So, you know, first impressions would be a 7 out of 10. Uh, I wouldn't say no to trying this out a bit more, maybe doing a review, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's so many games to look at, but yeah, I mean, I'd say give this one a try. It's not a high weight it's two to four players, not a long game, well produced, pretty cheap, less than 20 pound I think it is actually, so that's something to say. I know Kienda has got a copy of it for less than 20 quid. So yeah, give it a shot, it actually might be pretty sweet for you. Ah, more drink, more drink, more drink. Okay, right, the last one, okay, Endless Winter. Endless Winter. This one is a Kickstarter that is fulfilling in the next couple of months. <clears throat> I have backed this in all form, and it gives me a kind of Garfield Games vibe, the way it plays, but it's definitely just the artwork by the Miko, which is what essentially makes it look like those. It's Fun Fantasia Games, and I got to play this three times at Manicon. Once with Paul with the base set and a tiny expansion thrown in. Uh, second time with Paul uh, to have the Rivers and Rafts expansion thrown in. And then a third time when Paul was flagging a little bit from the heat and the tiredness and I said, you know what, I will teach this game to two other players, so let me take over from you. So I thought, oh, well, and I played it and I played a free player game with base set only, I think. Oh, no, no, I mixed and matched characters in this time. I didn't use the exact lot, I just mixed and matched animals and characters. But this is a pretty entertaining game, although... Will it have the staying power? I don't know. The idea with this is that you basically have quite a lot of uh, table space required, but you are managing a tribe of villagers and you're basically surviving in the wild. 
you're out to get victory points, but how you get victory points comes from a lot of different methods. So uh, this is this is somebody using the TTS thing. Is there something better than TTS that I could use? Well, let's go with this. So what you have is that you have a map where you put camps down and do area control for different terrain hexes and bonuses. You have your player board where you can put stones for objective scoring. You have camps and villages and the megalith stones or whatever they are, you know, whatever they called them, that you take off your board and reveal bonuses underneath. That's been done a lot of times. You can collect, you have a deck of cards of villagers with different abilities and you also collect cards for different animals, which can be animals that you keep which you collect for set collection bonuses at the end of the game or during with an expansion, or you can kill them off, uh, like tap them as this one does here, get food and various other bonuses, but then you also might have some something else that benefits you from using particular animals, so you keep them in front of you. It's a lot of stuff going on, and I do like... Firstly, the production quality of this is really, really good. I mean, yeah, there are some basic elements in places, but all in all, it's a looker on the table. It's got the cool sort of white and blue aesthetic, and the artwork by the Miko is gorgeous on these cards. I mean, they really look fantastic, not going to lie. But mechanically, I thought this was pretty sweet as well. So there are some other bits like idols and stuff that I'm not mentioning because I can't mention everything in this game. You know, you've got these... But mainly, it's all about these cards. So firstly, you've got these culture cards here, which... Uh, give you a one-off special ability when you play it, but when playing it, it goes to your discard pile, so it could come back again, and if you acquire them, they go straight to your hand, and you basically get to play some at the start of your turn. What you're mainly doing, though, is that you're using the cards of the various villagers. So there's five that you can choose from, and you've got your basic starter deck, but you can mix and match the Ancestors, I think it is, expansion with it, and that gives you more characters. But... In doing so, what, what these characters do is that you, you play them and you, you take a worker and you go on an action space. And it doesn't block off other players, it's just choose an action. You resolve the action in full, but with the cards that you play, you might generate some bonuses when doing a specific action. Or you might generate a hand symbol, which is labor, which is what you need in order to actually do certain symbols. Some characters are better at certain actions than others in providing labor. So you go through three actions around, one of which is a chieftain with a special ability on it, and then at the end of the round, any characters that you didn't use, you can put face down into what's called an eclipse pile, and then when the nighttime phase happens after the, basically the round has ended, everybody reveals their eclipse pile and gets the abilities of the, of the eclipse stuff at the bottom. It's a bit like Dune Imperium, where you keep cards behind for the combat phase. Well, here, you keep cards behind for whatever Eclipse bonuses they have. You don't fight each other in this game, although you do tackle each other for area control on the tile map. But it's a cool like like decision-making process you have to go through in order to decide, what am I going to do with the cards in my hand this round? Am I going to use them or am I going to keep them back? I need to think about this. It's... A pretty solid game all around. Uh, there's only so much else I can mention without this episode taking forever, but I enjoyed the deck building aspect. I enjoyed the card aspects uh, for animals and the villagers. I liked the culture cards. You know, they can give you some very useful powers. The ways that you score points, you can kind of choose your path to victory. I mean, you're going to go heavy on animals. You're going to go mass on the controlling the areas on the camps, or you're going to go high up on the idle track so you can exchange resources and things like that but one couple of a couple of flaws i did find firstly this game is very long 
I mean, particularly with the first players, like new players to the table or four players, this is going to easily take you longer than two hours, I guarantee it. It says 60 to 120 minutes. That is if you know what you're doing. If you do not know what you're doing or you've got the occasional slow player, I don't think you can get this game done in two hours with four players. I think you are more looking at two and a half to three potentially, which is pretty long. But if people get a move on and people know what they're doing, I think you could do it in a two hour time frame. But yeah, I think 60 minutes is pushing it. Even with two players, I think 60 minutes would be pushing it. But that being said, most publishers lie about the time length for their games. But also, I found that even if you choose a particular path to victory, you sort of end up doing everything anyway by the end because your engine builds up to such an extent that, yes, I focused a lot on animals, but because I did that, I had so much food that I could just pump labor into other things by the end of the game i could still collect a bunch of characters i could still level up pretty high on the idle track without doing it from the beginning because it doesn't really matter if you do it at the beginning it's more about the end so i didn't feel that by the end of the game you felt that differentiated as opposed to the first half of the game it's a bit like Agricola in that respect. You know, Agricola, you can start off doing different paths, but by the end of the game, you will do the same as everybody else, otherwise you're going to lose a bunch of points. Well, here it's kind of the same thing. You get to the point where you just can't really do much more of the action that you've already kind of excelled in. So you start doing other things, in which case, because you've got all the stuff from the previous engine, it doesn't take you long to grab these ones. It's That was a little bit like, hmm... The expansions were okay. I mean, the Ancestors extra cards are something you would use every time. There's some little modules. The Rivers and Rafts was fine, but it does really change up the way the uh, terrain control aspect of the game works. And what was the other one? Oh, there's another one about drawing cave paintings on the little sideboard. That looks like too much bloat, and I don't think I'm going to be that interested in that add-on. But as I say, so far, my initial impressions are an 8 out of 10. It's decent. It's great, actually. I mean, it's a great game, but... Will it have the staying power? Will it start showing chinks in the armor when I play it even more? We'll find out when I get my Kickstarter copy. And also, I'll be interested to know how this plays solo, because I have not tackled that. But yes, there is a solo mode in it, so I will be keen to see how that goes. What's this uh, designer done, actually? Stan Kordonsky. Let's have a look. Uh, Dice Hospital, Ruick, Lockup, Old West Empresario, and Shadows, Kingdoms of Valeria are his top games. Well... Old West Empresario is an underrated game, really good. Dice Hospital, I'm like, meh. Lock, lock Up, I'm kind of meh. Not played Rurik. Uh, anything else? It's just all Endless Winter. Resurgence, never heard of it. Yeah, so some good stuff, some not so great stuff. I mean, we'll see. I mean, so far I think this is a great game, but I'm just kind of remaining a little bit skeptical as to the staying power of it. We'll see when I get it. Like I say, this is just introductory free games. I now need to see what it's like to set it up and teach myself on, you know, to play as I know locally and see if it uh, starts losing a bit of its lackluster. We shall see. Right, that was a lot of games I played and there's still a lot of this episode to do. So although the discussion topic is probably not going to take me too long today. So let's Let's whip fire through these news quite quickly. I wasn't even going to do any news. And then suddenly in the last week, I found like three things I wanted to talk about briefly. Firstly, why don't we start with the small part of this, which is a new announcement. Uh, there's been some game announcements, which is why this is the thing. But first of all, I want to talk briefly about Deal with the Devil. 2022, four players, three hidden roles, two opposing paths, only one mighty ruler. 
Okay, check game editions do some very good thematic games on occasion. They really do do some quirky things. And I read this blunt and it said, Deeply thematic competitive Euro game set in a fantasy medieval era. Each of the four players takes on the secret role. Well, actually, no, this wasn't how I read it. What The bit I read said, Deeply thematic competitive Euro game set in a fantasy mid medieval era. And it said, You are trading with other players and things like that. That was the first paragraph I read off the article I was reading. And if you'd have just shown me that, I would have said, why do I care about this game? That sounds so generic and boring. Here's the twist. Each of the four players takes on the secret role of a mortal, cultist, or even the devil. Due to the asymmetrical roles, players experience the same game, but with different game goals every play. Yeah, this is an interesting thing, because you are trading with other players, because you're trying to build up the city and you need resources, so it's very much that typical theme. But... You are essentially trying to keep your roles hidden because one player is secretly the devil who's trying to tempt mortals with goods for a piece of their soul. The cultist nature is to sell their soul easily. And there's an accompanying app that knows who's trading with who. Okay, so a hidden role, sort of social deduction game with the resource management, like a medieval theme, but some aspect of negotiation, app integration. I mean, that's about as I know about this. There's not a huge amount of extra information, but I will say that concept sounds fantastic. I, mean, I can't say the artwork on that card is anything in particular, but this might be early stages. But yeah, it's a bit like something like Dungeon Pet. You know, check game editions do put out some really quirky games, like Alchemist and that. So this one really does sound interesting. I'm curious how this will work. It's already now going to be one of my most anticipated games for, I'm assuming, Essen. It'll come out. But yeah, I want to try the stat. This could be hilarious fun. I mean, that theme is, that works so well. Ah, oh, I do miss hidden role games. There hasn't been enough of those lately that aren't just straight up social deduction games. So yeah, I'm down for this. Check Game Editions, if you're watching, I would love to get a copy of this to review because this sounds awesome. <laughs> right, let's move on to something less awesome for me, more awesome for you lot. Dune Imperium has an expansion coming, and normally I wouldn't really talk about this because I'm kind of done with Dune Imperium, but for those interested, Immortality is on the works probably for later this year, and there's even less information about this one than the other one I was talking about. You know, I can't even pronounce half of the names on this bits here. It's like the Bene Tialax advance their own agenda into trading and genetic innovations. Will you hire fire dancer spies uh, or dare to employ people restored to life as golas? Bearing in mind, I know nothing about the Dune law, so I have no idea what golas, the fire face dancers, no, not fire dancers, they're face dancers, and the Bene Tialax. I have no idea who these people are. Anybody want to fill the blanks in and Dune Law? Because uh, it's not like the first movie actually made a decent deal. Oh, I said yes. The first movie is crap. Um, but yes. But yeah, so it's an expansion. You get to do scientific research. You get to graph cards together to empower your agents. Uh, you get to draft, apparently, I think, in this. And there's like a separate board that you level up. I, I mean, if you like Dune Imperium that much, then, oh, well, you're going to be loving this one. But this just sounds like a... a a terraforming Mars turmoil situation. Are we going to get to the point where your game, even that you, the fans, have to admit that your game is getting a little bit bloated at this point? I mean, 
the game hasn't fixed the problems from the first game where half the deck building part was rubbish because most of the cards anything that costs less than three was not worth buying for your deck because there's not enough ways to trash cards at your deck so all you're doing is bloating your deck and bloating your deck in a deck builder is not a recommended idea if you can't draw through it so and there was a couple of other things I wasn't a fan of. And of course, the artwork looks so much better on a cover than it does on anything else in the game because the artwork is terrible. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts. I mean, I did like it a lot when I first played it, but, you know, the chinks in the armor certainly showed themselves rather quickly after playing it even more. And, you know, people say, well, why don't you buy the deluxe upgrades? Well, great. So I can pay £50 for this game and then pay another 50, 60 quid for the upgrades just to make it look bearable. It's not like you can replenish the artwork. I feel like this needs a second edition with a decent artist. That'd be great. Get the Miko to do it. The Miko doing June. That would be pretty sweet. But like I say, if you're interested in more expansions for Dune Imperium, then by the end of this year, you should have another one. So look forward to that. This, on the other hand, wow, I did not expect this. Greater than games, Spirit Island. You know that Spirit Island's a game I absolutely love. Well, Horizons of Spirit Island is something they've just announced. Now... They're already doing a Nature Incarnate or whatever it is expansion for the main Spirit Island. Cannot wait. Backing instantly. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. This I just did not see coming. This is apparently a Target exclusive, which is a shame because that means me getting a copy of this is going to be extremely difficult to do. But this is a one to three player, standalone simpler streamlined version of spirit island a double-sided game board streamlined setup punchable components and five new spirits designed to be ideal for those playing this for the first time okay interesting i mean spirit island's a very complex game when you get down to the nitty and gritty of it so a simpler version that can be played by all sorts of people i mean that sounds pretty sweet it looks like the same type of game i mean here's your blight pool your fear pool you've got the cards minor and major powers the icons but yeah the board is just a simpler setup so does it use events doesn't look like it uses anything from branch and claw and jagged earth so i don't think you have events and you certainly don't have all those beast tokens and that everywhere so i think it keeps this pretty simplistic i mean this will be fun because i love spirit island but i'm curious about this the idea that you would have a simpler streamlined version to learn the only thing is if you bought this and then decided you want the most complex one you're going to basically buy the complex one and then you probably never will go back to this one although the spirits are apparently compatible with the normal game how easily they're going to be compatible i don't know but i am totally down for getting a copy of this just so that i can have those five spirits frankly because i mean i don't know if you could mix the cards i wonder if you could mix the cards with the other deck the minor and major powers that would be sweet as well uh but yeah other than that i'm down for five spirits i mean give me five spirits to add to my collection of spirits because it's all good but yeah the idea that i could teach this game to people who haven't played spirit island before and give them a simpler experience you know what i'm down for that kind of thing that just seems like a good idea but you know will it come out at essen i don't know i mean i'm supposed to be demoing for greater than games at essen this year with spirit island and uh, sentinels in the multiverse so will this be released there will i be demoing this as well i don't know i mean that would be amazing if they could demo it and i could get a copy of it at essen that would be fantastic but i thought it was only going to target so don't know about that one. We'll have to see. We'll see what they say. But yeah, I'm curious about this. I mean, 
mainly just give me five more spirits. I mean, look at this. You've got like a sort of windy, glowy light kitty cat. Look at it. It's a beautiful little kitty cat. I want another kitty cat. I want to play this one with the uh, fangs of, oh, what was it called? Um, Hidden fangs, the, the predator cat. I want to play this cat with the other cat. I'm assuming that is a cat. Pretty sure that's a cat. Um, it doesn't actually say what it is, but yeah, I mean, that does look like a cat of some description. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this one in particular, the Sunbright Whirlwind, uh, you start with zero energy, all your unique power cards, so it's a bit more, it's a bit more better to explain the starting setup. Uh, Playstyle, good at handling explorers, clearing newly explored lands of invaders so they don't build there, not so good at dealing with towns and cities. This sounds basically like the same as the River Sunlight one. Hmm. Hard to say, but I don't know. We'll find out more. This is all the information I have, but uh, yeah, colour me interested. Right. Let's get off that and quickly sort of get on to the discussion topic. Yes, yeah, so Patreons have given me some ideas for discussion topics. Um, I'll need to get a few more from them soon. But uh, the question on this one, suggested by Mr. Tim, is one that is quite an interesting concept. Uh, basically, do sequels to games improve or detract from the, the enjoyment of said series? So the idea is, is that there are a lot of times where games come out with their spin-offs. Pandemic has done it to death. Uh, Century Spice Road did the sequels where they literally just changed the theme and artwork. Azul is probably the best exp um, example of this kind of thing because Azul has had four different things now I mean I've not even played the fourth one because frankly getting onto this I don't particularly care that much uh, hmm, I don't know why that's on there delete that that must have been a typo doing something else but yes so yeah I mean I've played Azul I've played Stained Glass of Sintra and I've played Summer Pavilion and I didn't like Stained Glass of Sintra Azul is good but I've kind of done with it now and the Summer Pavilion is good but it's way too long for an Azul game and I don't have really any interest in trying Queen's Garden. But this is an example where the sequels have actually detracted from it because the more you start milking a cash cow the more I start to go oh god more of this would you just show some innovation. Expansions to a game is fine. You know Spirit Island you can give me all the spirits you like and I'll take it. Uh, you can give me all the expansions to Star Wars Outer Rim. You can give me all the heroes and Sentinels of the Multiverse. I will love it. That's an expansion to the game that's already there. That is not a sequel. But Azul, for example, has three spin-offs which use the same mechanic, but then twist it up a notch. And honestly, the original Azul is still the best one, in my opinion, so far. So why did we need these spin-offs? Uh, Century Spice Road had the uh, weird idea of saying, right, we're doing Century Spice Road. We're then going to do two sequels, and you'll be able to combine them in one giant package. And how many people actually bother to do this? Century Spice Road is a decent enough game, but I only give it a six. It's fine, but it outstays its welcome. It takes too long. It can bog down with bad cards. And I just think Splendor and various other games like Majesty of the Realm and that just do this kind of thing a lot better. So I don't really take much interest in it. I played the sequel, which was the, uh, what you call it? The, I forget what it was. Something Waters, Eastern's Waters. Or something, you basically go around on the boat and you do essentially what you do in Century Spice Road. That's fine, but it's very, it's a bit fiddly, it takes longer, it's a bit more clunky. I wasn't as fan of that one. And then the third one, uh, let me see if I can find the titles actually, it would probably be better. Century 
Eastern Wonders, that was it, and the other one was A New World. So A New World was fine. Uh, that's probably my favorite of the three. It had it basically had a worker placement aspect with the whole turning stuff into cubes. But again, it gets very samey, and each one is basically just doing what Century Spice Road did and just throwing a tiny little twist on it. Why didn't you just play the original? Now, I've not played it with everything combined. I think that would just be a bit of a mess, but I don't see anybody playing this. I don't see anybody playing these sequels, frankly. Occasionally, I see Century of Spice Road played. I have not seen Eastern Wonders or New World played in years, and lit I have barely ever seen them combined. So clearly, I don't think this was the most popular thing that suddenly came out of it. But then, the sequel doesn't necessarily have to be directly linked. I mean, take Blood Rage, for example. Blood Rage technically doesn't have sequels, but you can argue that Rising Sun and Ankh are essentially not the same series, but they're kind of similar to each other. It's all basically dudes on the map, big miniatures fighting each other through supremacy. That's what all three games do. They just throw a slight twist on it. Take a drink. So... With these, I mean, Blood Rage I wasn't as big on a fan of. I do love Rising Sun, but how long it will stay in the collection remains to be seen because it is a big game taking up space and it costs a lot of money. But I have no interest in Ankh. I mean, that merge rule is garbage. And the buzz for Ankh that was like, oh my god, he's releasing another game, Ankh, Ankh, oh, it's going to be amazing. And who talks about it now? Flash in the pan. Uh, yeah, flash in the pan, I thank you. Called it. Pick up the phone, I called it. Yeah, so nobody really talks about Ankh anymore. So these ones, again, when you see the same kind of thing just with a slight twist, it does sometimes get a little bit like stale, or it's not offering enough new to the table. Now, occasionally, sequels can improve on the original formula. So it's certainly, as much as I'm not a fan of the Zombicide series, it is definitely a thing that the original Zombicide was definitely improved upon by Black Plague, which was definitely improved upon by Invaders, and certainly the second edition of Zombicide is much better than the first edition. But then some of these problems that they had in Zombicide could have been fixed by them just actually taking five seconds to proofread their rule books and actually take five seconds to consider the impact of some of their rules. I mean, who remembers the controversy of the Zombicide when you shoot into a mixed uh, group, you, all, you have to hit your friend first dumbest shooting rule ever and then the second game black plague uh, where you had the split rule where you had to do this complicated system in order to work out what happens when you have two paths that zombies can move it's like oh my god do they not look at their rule books and just think you know what maybe this is stupid and we should actually think about this more but that being said those blemishes aside the sequels to zombicide were better than the original zombicide Another good example would probably be Brass. Now, yes, I don't like Brass, you know, so whatever. I mean, I gave it a 6 when I first reviewed it. It's probably now a 4 for me. I mean, I, it's more that I give it respect. I still don't like it, but, you know, I can't deny that the artwork is gorgeous. And to be fair, I do have those clay chips. They are very nice. <laughs> I used them with Majesty for the Realm the other day, and yes, so much better. I use them for Ark Nova as well. But to be fair, I use the clay chips whenever I can use the clay chips. They're just so good. I love little poker chips. But I digress. So Brass Lancashire, which was effectively the original Brass, the, it got re-implemented by uh, Brass Birmingham, which people will say, oh, this is a great standalone game. It is a map pack. It is the same game with a slight twist. But I can't deny that loads of people out there are bigger fans of Birmingham than they are Lancashire. So for those people, definitely, 
Brass Birmingham is a sequel upgrade to what Brass is. Again, I just think it's a map pack where all you did was create the exact same system. You just changed the names, redid the connections, and put beer in it. That's it. I mean, you can easily change the connections and city names on a map pack. So literally all you've done is add beer. I mean, it's basically the same as what a Ticket to Ride map pack does for its original game. It gives you a different map and then adds a new mechanic in it. It's no different. So the fact that these two are standalone and on the Board Game Geek Top 100, I think, really irks me. I really hate that fact, but again, I digress. So, you know, this is one, though, where the sequel does improve. Uh, the crew, you know, gotta say, the crew, the Quest for Planet 9, love this game, fantastic, but I've sold my copy. Why? Because... Mission Deep Sea is included, and yes, it is 95% the same game, but that 5% difference is easier. The scenarios are better. The way of setting up the scenarios is better. So if you're going to get one or the other, you get Mission Deep Sea. You don't even look at the space one. you know. And yes, it's a tiny little twist, but there you go. I mean, I hope they don't make a theme of this and bring out tons of these, the crew games. I think this is all you need now. Just stick with this one and you're good. But yeah, it did the job. Uh, let's see some other ones. Uh, Descent. Is, I got a bunch written down. I was literally like, damn, I'm possessed. <laughs> I wonder if I can play the accordion too when I was trying to prepare for this. So, Descent. Oh, God, that's not it. That's a, What on earth was that? That's like a weird abstract game. No, Descent Journeys in the Dark. Where is it? Come on, Descent. There we go. So, I don't know about the first edition of Descent, but the second edition was good fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't collect it, I just played it, but this was the type of dungeon call that I like. You know, be your hero, get some cool stuff, go fight monsters, kick the door down. You know, nice, frantic, fast, a bit of luck involved, not puzzly, i.e. not Gloomhaven. So, you know, this one I really enjoyed. Descent 3rd Edition, on the other hand, though, hmm, <laughs> that one wasn't so good. I mean, I, Legends of the Dark, I gave my review of this, and I stand by it. I mean, I give it a 6 overall, but man, the writing in this is really poor, and this whole terrain thing becomes a big faff and chore very, very quickly. You know, it really, that gimmick loses its uh, appeal, especially when you realize how much you spent on this game. So... Descent sequel-wise is not particularly done great, although Star Wars Imperial Assault, you can argue, is a sequel effectively to Descent. Imperial Assault, I think, is better than Descent. Which is it? Uh, it's Star Wars. I might be just looking at it with nostalgia goggles because it's Star Wars, but second edition Legends of the Dark and Star Wars Imperial Assault, I like both. Um, you know, I can take it or leave it, but you know, some people will prefer, prefer one over the other. Uh, we mentioned Gloomhaven a second ago. That's effectively doing the same thing because you had Gloomhaven with the big box. Then you got Jaws of the Lion, which was effectively a sequel to the game, which condensed it down and made it easier to play. And now we're going to get uh, White Blue Haven. Oh, sorry, Frost Haven. You know, change Gloom to Frost and color it into the red and brown, make it white and blue. That's basically what Frost Haven will be. But you know it's going to be incredibly popular, sell like hotcakes, suddenly get to number one on Board Game Geek because Board Game Geek's ranking system is broken. But, you know, people are certainly going to think the sequels are better than the originals because a lot of people will play Jaws of the Lion rather than the big box Gloomhaven. Even the digital version of Gloomhaven apparently is better than this big box version for what I'm hearing from Paul Grogan and various other people. And I'll bet you anything that Frosthaven is going to be an improvement on Gloomhaven regardless of the fact that it's basically the same game. So, you know, there's definitely going to be sequel love for that one. Ah, what else? Uh, well, sequels can also come from the same mechanic. So... 
uh, card crafting games from John DeClaire will uh, technically be sequels of each other, although I don't think... Saying that it's a sequel just because of the same mechanic, well, then, then again, that's a Zool for you. So, yeah, I suppose it does count. Uh, Mystic Veil was the original one that uh, John DeClaire did with the whole card crafting system. Well, since then, we've had Edge of Darkness, which I really love. And now we've had Dead Reckoning, which I like, but uh, has problems. So, the sequels for this, I mean, Edge of Darkness, I prefer to Mystic Veil. But I prefer Mystic Veil to Dead Reckoning. So, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag on that one. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, the Exit and Unlock games I wrote down. I mean, they're not necessarily sequels. They're just more of the same. Eventually, that had to die out, really. Ooh, Dinosaur Island. Yes, Dinosaur Island. That's a good one because... That still remains on my shelf, despite the fact that the designer had to go at me on Facebook um, for giving my opinion on Dead Reckoning, apparently. But the I still have this game in my collection with the expansion, because it's you know one of the few games he's done I like. And I, I prefer this one to... I have not played Dinosaur World, but the... Yeah, this is already a really fun game for me. Dinosaur World does not look like it does anything that's going to improve over Dinosaur Island for me. And the consensus I'm hearing from a lot of reviewers and a lot of people is that Dinosaur World isn't as good as Dinosaur Island. So why have Dinosaur World and Dinosaur Island? I mean, Dinosaur Island, what was the ranking on that one? That was a rank... What's its rank? 172. Dinosaur World is ranked 1,010. It has nowhere near the same amount of buzz. I don't think it even had that much buzz when it first came out. Reviews have been mixed, you know. Not that many people are that impressed by it. So we have a direct sequel to its predecessor that isn't doing anywhere near as good. Uh, maybe they should have taken note for that for the Jurassic Park movies because every single sequel gets worse by the friggin' minute. But, oh well, I digress. Uh, what else? Uh, Arkham Horror? Um, Arkham Horror 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition, not including the card game and uh, Eldritch Horror, but the 2nd Edition was a very clunky but very thematic horror-based game. The 3rd Edition, granted that's the one I own on the shelf, because it is technically the more streamlined and easier game to get to the table, but it loses some of that horror flair that the 2nd one had. And when you ask people which ones they prefer, I think the general consensus is that you do find people still have a soft spot for the 2nd Edition or they prefer Eldritch Horror, so I don't know which I prefer, actually. Arkham Horror, 3rd Edition, or Eldritch Horror. I think part of me suggests uh, Arkham Horror, 3rd Edition, because it feels more horror, whereas Eldritch Horror feels more like Indiana Jones Adventure with some horror bits thrown in, but both of them are solid games, so I can't exactly complain. Uh, Dixit, uh, I mean, you've got Dixit, then you've got Muse, and you've got Detective Club, and you've got Obscurio, and you've got Mysterium. It's using the same mechanic, but you can't really say those are sequels to each other. That one just seems a little bit off. Uh, Ticket to Ride, similar deal. Catan and Pandemic. Those games have had spin-offs and sequels galore, though, actually. In fact, saying that, I think, actually, you could argue with Catan and Pandemic. Because a lot of the games of Catan... I love Catan, but I just collect the base set expansions. I think a lot of the spin-offs for Catan aren't that good. They're just meh. Why would I play this over the normal Catan with expansions? Pandemic, great game to begin with. And to be fair, Pandemic Iberia is the one I keep on my shelf because it is a solid sequel like implementation of it. But I don't own Call of Cthulhu. I didn't particularly much care for Fall of Rome. I don't like Rising Tide. 
what else have they done? The Legacy games I enjoyed, but again, you play them once and you're kind of done, and I have no interest in Legacy Season Zero or whatever it was, the uh, Cold War one, because, you know, I like art in my games, not grey collages everywhere, so, so I wasn't interested in that. And, yeah, I mean, Pandemic has certainly milked itself to death by now and needs to just die a death, you know. You've had your moment, you're still popular, could you please stop spinning off every spin-off you can but z-man games just don't seem to have an innovative thought in their body sometimes so yeah you are just going to get the same stuff all the time oh, last of my drink i need to wrap this up soon uh what other one last one i can think of uh the garpill game series i mean west kingdom and raiders of the north sea they're part of a series but the i mean i suppose they are similar games that you could describe them as sequels but they're different enough. I mean, yes, they use the same kind of setting and the same artwork and that, and they've certainly got the same iconography, but I don't think I could say that they're sequels. You know, they're, you know, they are, you know, Architects of the West Kingdom is its own game, and so is Paladins, and so is Viscounts. Yes, they use the same iconography, but they are different. Just like Wayfarers of the South Tigris is different from all of these three games. Yes, it uses a similar iconography, but they are different enough games, and I don't think I can really class these as sequels so there's going to be some subjective measure as to what is considered a sequel to a game rather than just simply expansions or using the same publisher and series in a sense so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts uh the idea of do game sequels tend to improve on the originals or do they tend to lose some of the appeal do they get stuff wrong or does it not capture the spirit of the original i mean you know when it comes to movies i mean you can argue this to death but a lot of the times the original tends to trump the sequels i mean you know i would still much rather watch the original jurassic park than any sequel that's ever come out for it uh, back to the future my favorite trilogy i do really like back to the future too but you kind of have to argue that Back to the Future 1 is the better film, even though I enjoy the sort of uh, Easter eggs that are thrown into the second one. Uh, you can do that with a lot of the MCU movies, Marvel and DC, similar deal. Uh, Terminator. Oh, Terminator is a sequel that improved. I mean, Terminator 1's great, but Terminator 2 is like a world of its own. It's fantastic. Uh, Rambo? Yeah, Rambo, the first one compared to the other ones? I don't know, because they get a little bit more crazy as they go through the match. Rocky? Rocky 1, Rocky 2 are the two best movies out of the range, even though Rocky 4 I have a soft spot for. Yeah, I mean, you could argue this to death with movies, but that's for another time. Who knows? But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and what you have to say on the matter. So that's it for me. I'll see you on the next episode of The Broken Meeple. Uh, take care of yourselves. And remember, if you like what you see, thumb up the video. Consider subscribing to the channel, whether it's via the podcast feed or the YouTube feed. Uh, definitely consider subscribing to the Patreon to give me a hand with review copies because review copies are drying up these days and the channel needs every little bit it can just to push itself forward, to afford its overheads and, of course, give you the content that you want to see. Um, other than that, though, you can check out more content on the channel, including the two top 10 lists that I just mentioned, the top 10 filler games and the top 10 games no one wants to play with me. Take care, and remember, as always, whether it's the original or a sequel, it's still only a game. Bye for now, take care, love you all.